Welcome to the teaching ministry of Calvary Port St. Lucie. Let's join Lead Pastor Mike Wiggins for part three of Spiritual Gifts. All right. Well, right before his ascension back into heaven, the resurrected Christ made a beautiful promise to the people who were following him. It can be found in Acts 1.8. We'll put it up on the screen uh, for you today. But Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus said, you shall receive what? Power. Everybody say power, right? You shall receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you. What you need to know, first of all, is the Holy Spirit is not an it. We know that, right? Please do not refer to the Holy Spirit as an it. He's not an it. He's a person. He's the third person of the Trinity, and he's just as much God as the Father and the Son. And so the promise of the Son of God concerning the Spirit of God to the people of God is you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. He didn't say in you, right? The Greek preposition is not en in the original language. It's e-p-i. It's something that most churches totally miss. He's talking to people who already have the Spirit of God living in them. John chapter 20, Jesus said, receive the Spirit. He blew on the disciples. And when Jesus says, receive the Spirit, blows on you, you're going to get the Spirit. The Spirit of God already lived inside of them. But now this is another experience. It's the EPI in the Greek, upon in the English. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And then, and only then, you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Those of you who know your Bibles know that the promise in Acts chapter 1 was fulfilled in Acts chapter 2. And when the day of Pentecost had fully come, the 120 believers in Christ who already had the Spirit living inside of them, as they're praying, the Holy Spirit descended upon them and he empowered them. And what was the result of this empowerment? If you read through the rest of the book of Acts, you find out that these men and women turned their world upside down. In the world's estimation, they turned the world upside down. In heaven's estimation, they turned the world right side up. How do you guys understand that we need the power of the Holy Spirit today to turn our world upside down for Jesus Christ? Do you understand that? We need the Holy Spirit. We, church family, we need the Holy Spirit. All of us who name Jesus as Lord have the Spirit inside of us. We need that another experience in our lives. We need the fullness or the filling of the Holy Spirit. That's where the power comes from. In my living room, I have a power strip hanging out behind my entertainment center. Some of you electricians are going to talk to me after the service, and that's okay. Um, but in that power strip, there's certain things that are plugged in, things like our TV set and our DVR and our Apple TV box and our, uh, let's see if I get this straight, the sound bar and the subwoofer, things like that. Now, as long as those appliances are plugged into the power source, those appliances function as they were meant to function, right? The TV 
entertains us and the, we hear the sound and the subwoofer gives us a little bass in our hearts sometimes when we're watching a movie or whatever. Um, it allows us to play Wii Sports. I love playing Wii Sports. I love playing tennis. I love beating my wife in tennis and Wii Sports in our living room, right? And so as long as all of these appliances are plugged into the power source, they function as they were meant to function. But if they're not plugged into the power source, all there's left is frustration. You ever been there before? All I want to watch is my show. What is going on here, right? Now, you say, what does that have to do with the sermon? The Holy Spirit is a power strip. Not an it, not some entity. He is a person, but he is so much like a power strip. And Jesus said, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. The question is, has the Holy Spirit come upon you? Has he filled you to overflowing? Some would call it the baptism with the Holy Spirit. Others would call it the filling of the Holy Spirit. Hey, no matter what you want to call it, the question is, do you got it? Do you have it? Are you walking in the power of the Holy Spirit today and tomorrow and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and all throughout the week? Now imagine that each outlet represents a different gift of the Holy Spirit. Okay, so maybe the first outlet's the word of wisdom. Second outlet, the word of knowledge. Maybe the third one's faith. Maybe the other one is prophecy. Maybe another one's the gift of service, the gift of teaching, the gift of exhortation, the gift of giving, or whatever. The question is, are you plugged in to the outlet that God wants you to be plugged into? The question is, do you really know what your spiritual gift is? And as long as you are plugged into that outlet, you're plugged into the power source of the Holy Spirit, and as long as you're operating in your spiritual giftedness, then what happens is that God uses you in the local church and in the surrounding community. You fulfill what the Lord has called you to do in this life, and you make the local community of believers a healthy place. But if you're not plugged in, do you, do you notice one of the outlets? There's no plug. Is that you? Do you just come to church and sit in a row two or three times a week, hear a nice sermon, sing some songs, and go home unchanged? Is that the extent of your Christianity? There's so much more. The Holy Spirit is the neglected person of the Trinity in the church. He is exactly the one that the Father and the Son sent to the church to empower us to be a force to be reckoned with. Last week, we were in 1 Corinthians 12. We went through those gifts. Today, we're in Romans chapter 12. We're gonna finish up the gifts. And so if you have a Bible and you're looking at Romans 12, verse six, just say amen so I know you're with me. All right, here we go. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given. By the way, not everybody has the same gift. And by the way, you don't plug into the gift that you wanna plug into the Holy Spirit is sovereign. He gives you what he wants you to have. He says, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. We already extensively covered prophecy last week. And so if you want a definition of the gift of prophecy and you weren't here, just download our church app. You can listen to the message. Verse seven, here we go. Or ministry, that's the first gift that we're going to talk about today. 
or ministry, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts, verse 8, in exhortation, he who gives, there's another spiritual gift, the gift of giving, with liberality, he who leads, the gift of leadership, with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness, and then it's not there, but it's in Ephesians 4, I'm going to add the gift of evangelism, and so we're going to make it through, again, seven gifts today. Now, look again at verse 7, please. The first gift we look at is translated in the New King James Version as ministry, but if you got the NASB, the NIV, the ESV, the ISV, the, the word is translated serving, so that's the word we're going to go with. The first gift is the gift of service. It's also known as the gift of helps in 1 Corinthians 12, 28, I believe. So the gift of service, the gift of helps, what is it? It's a divine enablement. Notice from last week, it's not a human talent, right? The moment we decide that we're going to do church in our own human talents is the moment, as I said last week, the Holy Spirit, like Elvis, leaves the building. It's not about our human talents. It's about the enablement of God. And so the gift of service or helps is a divine enablement to come alongside of others to help them. Everybody say help. To help them in practical ways. Okay, so people who have the gift of service, they love to serve. Maybe you're thinking about somebody right now. Loves to serve. Why? It's their passion. Why? Because that's the gift from the Holy Spirit that they have. By the way, people with the gift of service, you don't have to ask them to serve. They see a need and they just meet that need. I saw somebody just in between services uh, who will go unnamed, um, saw a need in one of the restrooms. They were out of paper. This person didn't go find Pastor Bob <laughs> or Pastor Lee. That person went to our closet, got some paper and go, why? Gift of service. You don't have to ask these people to serve. They see a need, they meet the need. Some biblical examples of people with the gift of service would be Priscilla and Aquila. If you remember from Romans 16 verse 3. Priscilla and Aquila were a Christian couple, and they followed the Apostle Paul around as he planted churches, and they would serve behind the scenes while the Apostle Paul did his thing up on the front lines. So that's Priscilla and Aquila, gift of service. They didn't care about being noticed. They were there to help Paul. Another example um, would be the seven guys you remember in Acts chapter uh, 6, the seven guys who were chosen uh, to serve the widows there in the church of Jerusalem. You guys remember them? Some, some people call them the deacons. Okay, so you have these seven men. They're full of the Holy Spirit. They're full of wisdom. And the apostles were like, man, we need, we need to be in the word of God in prayer. It's not that, that serving widows is below us. We just don't have the time. And so they chose these seven men. And these seven men had the gift of service. And they served behind the scenes while the apostles did their thing up on the front lines. Another example of somebody with a gift of service would be Tabitha um, there in Acts chapter 9, verse 36. Tabitha, according to the Bible, was a lady who was full of good works and charitable deeds. So once again, all people and hundreds more in the Bible, they, they were people who had the gift of service. They would serve behind the scenes. 
because they didn't care about being noticed. So follow me here. People who authentically have the gift of service often go unnoticed in the church. Have you noticed that? Right? The pastor is usually the most popular person in the church. Usually everybody or most people know the name of the pastor. But the question I have for you today, think this through with me. How effective do you think any pastor will, uh, can be without a group of people, men and women, teenagers, boys and girls, who are serving behind the scenes and helping? Right? It's, it's kind of like an offensive line on a football team. People with the gift of service are like that offensive line. Nobody knows the name of the offensive lineman on a football team. Everybody knows the name of the quarterback. But how effective do you think that quarterback could ever be without those men blocking for him? Not only would the quarterback be ineffective, he'd be crushed. Ladies and gentlemen, you can get the best quarterback who's ever lived. And if he doesn't have a strong offensive line, men who nobody knows their name, but if he didn't have that strong offensive line, it doesn't matter how gifted that quarterback is, he's gonna be annihilated by the enemy on the other side of the line. And so thank God for the people who have the gift of service in the church. I am so blessed by people in this church who have the gift of service. In fact, as I think through all the gifts, I think this is the gift that I see operating for the last 11 and a half years more than any other gift in our church. And I don't have time to name everybody, right? And those of you who have the gift of service don't care because you're not all about being noticed. But I'm so grateful, right, for the men and women, mostly women, who cook meals for families that just had a baby. And so a mom has a baby. She's out of commission for a week or two. She can't cook. We have people in this church behind the scenes that supply meals for a week, two weeks, for that family, gift of service. I'm so grateful for all you guys who are sweating out in the parking lot, serving us every single Sunday, telling us where to park, even though we always don't listen to you and park somewhere else, right? Thank you for those guys. I'm so grateful for the, the, the men and women in our hospitality ministry, are serving donuts and coffee, right? We should thank them, absolutely. And not only, by the way, not only do they stand there and say, you want a granola bar? They also stay longer than I stay because when I'm leaving, I'm getting ready to get in my car. I go through the kitchen. They're all cleaning up the kitchen. They stay until the work is done. Behind the scenes, not a lot of people know their names, but there's no way we could ever be a healthy church without them. Thank God for the people who clean our church on Saturday mornings. Thank God for the people in our children's shine ministry. Not necessarily the people with teaching. We're thankful for them. I'll get to that gift in a minute. I'm talking about, for um, this point, I'm talking about the people who are just in the rooms. They're on the ground with the kids. They're playing with the kids. They're listening to the kids. They're valuing the kids, right? And then they're staying and they're cleaning up the room after all the kids leave. I'm thankful for the people who pick up trash around this campus. Last year at Trunk or Treat, I don't know how we're gonna do it this year, but last year, if you were here, this parking lot full, across the street, Peachtree full, all the way down, 25th Street full of cars, people coming from everywhere. And as I'm, I'm leaving and it's dark, I see a couple in our church who will go unnamed, and they're there 
husband and wife, they have a bag and they're picking up trash in our parking lot. Nobody asked them to do that. They have the gift of service. They see a need, they grab a bag, how hard is that? And they begin to do what God has called them to do. And I could go on and on, but I just wanna say thank you, thank you. And if I didn't say it enough, thank you for all of you, hundreds of you, who had this gift, who are serving behind the scenes. I could never do what I do unless you do what you do. And so can we one last time thank these people for serving in our church? So grateful. So grateful. Now, don't make the mistake of sitting there today thinking, I don't have the gift of service, so I don't have to serve. Oh, no, 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 no. Don't think that. We're all called to serve but some excel at it because it's their gift. They're plugged into the outlet of service and they're doing their part in the church. Next gift there in Romans chapter 12 is teaching. Teaching. It's the divine enablement, not a human talent, to communicate truths of the, the truths of scripture in a clear an accurate way. So people who have this gift, they're able to study, and that, that's important. <laughs> Can't get up here and wing it. So they're gifted by the Lord to study, to put in the hours to study, and then to explain the word of God in a way that's helpful for other people. A biblical example of somebody who had this gift would be Peter. Now, I resonate with this gift, obviously, and I resonate with John chapter 1. Obviously, you've heard it a thousand times. But in John chapter 21, the risen Lord Jesus Christ pulls Peter to the side. He asks him three times, Peter, do you love me? Why did he ask Peter three times whether Peter loved him? Because Peter denied him how many times? Three times. He's restoring Peter to ministry, the pastoral ministry, the ministry of pastor-teacher. And he says to Peter, not once, not twice, but three times, Peter, feed my sheep. He says, feed my lambs. Eyeball to eyeball, the eternal son of God, telling a man, feed my lambs. Tend my sheep. Feed my sheep. Now, Peter understood that the Lord wasn't calling him to be a literal shepherd over literal sheep. He understood that the sheep were God's people. And Peter also understood that when Jesus said, feed them, he wasn't talking about steak and eggs and milk. What was he talking about? He was talking about the word of God. How do you know that, Pastor Mike? Second Peter chapter 2 I'm sorry, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2. Peter says, desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. If you're with me, can you please say amen here? Amen. Don't miss this, as a lot of churches are missing this. Peter understood that this book is spiritual food. Peter understood that this book is spiritual nourishment. Whether you're talking about the milk of the word or whether you're talking about the meat of the word, it doesn't matter. This book is what gives us 
spiritual sustenance. And it's the only way we can grow. But if nobody is teaching the Bible anymore, the tragedy is that believers, God's people, their spiritual growth is arrested. Their spiritual growth stops. And it's a tragedy in America today and other parts of the world. But in our generation, pastors have stopped teaching God's word and they've started giving speeches on how to be a success. And it's wrong. It's wrong because the believers, they don't even know it, but they're starving to death spiritually and their growth is stunted. And the first time a trial comes in because they have no spiritual growth, they're knocked down and they're out for the count and they never live for the Lord again. Why? Because we have a bunch of pastors that are giving speeches on how to be a success instead of teaching God's word. We've got to teach God's word. I don't know how else to say it. But we've got to teach God's word. In our generation, there are more messages on how to succeed at a self-absorbed life than how to take up your cross and die to self and follow Jesus Christ. It's a tragedy in the church. And people are buying it hook, line, and sinker because it's the cool thing to do. It's the hip thing to do. And they don't even realize they're dying spiritually. In our generation, we need a revival, a revival that produces anointed Bible teachers again, who are not afraid of being boring because they go verse by verse through God's word, who are not afraid that their churches might be smaller because they go verse by verse through God's word. At least go paragraph by paragraph, but just teach God's word. Because as pastors and leaders, we will give an account eyeball to eyeball as to whether or not we fed the sheep. And it's not just the pastor who has this gift. This gift should be operating all over the church. It should be operating over in our Shine Children's ministry. People who have a divine enablement to communicate the truths of Scripture on their level in a clear and an accurate way. It should be up and running in our discipleship classes. We had 50 people here, life group facilitators, that received um, discipleship training yesterday. And thank God we had a, 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 someone who's part of the body of Christ, a teacher, gifted. I was blown away by the first message that I heard um, because here you have an anointed person who's teaching a discipleship class, and it was so awesome. It was, it was meat of the Word of God. And so life groups, on and on and on, we're all called to teach at some level, right? If you're a parent, you're called to teach. But some excel at the gift. And the reason they excel at the gift is because they're plugged into the outlet of their gifting, the gift of teaching, and they're doing their part in the church. Next gift in Romans chapter 12 is the gift of exhortation. This gift is a divine enablement to encourage others to live out what they have learned. It's a divine enablement where God empowers a man or a woman or a teenager, right, to, to encourage other people to live out. Man, live out. Just do it, right? Live out what you've learned. The reason we need people in the church that have this gift it's because how many of you guys understand that in the church, there's a lot of people who are hearers of the word and not doers of the word. And so we need this gift in this church 
We need the gift in the body of Christ as a whole. We need men and women, again, who have this gift where they can encourage other people. And the best example I can find in the Bible outside of Jesus, that a man who had this gift was Barnabas. And if you remember Barnabas, his name, the Bible defines his name. His name meant son of encouragement. And that's what Barnabas did. I mean, if he walked into a room, he just lit up the room. He's always encouraging people to follow Jesus. Man, put to feet what you've learned in your head. Let it go from your head to your heart, now to your feet. If it doesn't go to your feet, man, you're, you're not doing it. You gotta, gotta live this stuff out. And that's what Barnabas did. If you remember, um, in Acts chapter nine, um, Barnabas was the guy who went and found this young new convert, a guy by the name of Saul of Tarsus. You remember this? Who's Saul of Tarsus? Help me out, church family. Paul. And so Bar uh, Paul gets saved, and he's a new convert. And so it was Barnabas who says, hey, man, I got to get this guy going here. And so he grabs Paul, and he takes him to Jerusalem to introduce him to the apostles. Now, you remember, there's a problem here. The problem is that Saul of Tarsus in his B.C. days he used to hunt Christians down. He used to drag them to prison. And sometimes he would even stand and give witness to their execution. And so the apostles don't want to meet Saul of Tarsus. They're not too excited about that. But then you got this guy with the gift of encouragement. And what does he do? He grabs Paul. He grabs the apostles and he helps them join hands. He's like, guys, it's okay. He met Jesus. His life has changed. He's not going to kill you, okay? Just relax. It's all right. And with the fact that Barnabas stood up for Paul, well, that encouraged Paul's faith and helped Paul become Paul. And how many of you are thankful for the Apostle Paul, right? Well, it was the guy behind him who encouraged him. And that's what people with the gift of encouragement or exhortation, that they help, help move you along in ministry, now, later on in Acts chapter 15, Barnabas has to stand up for somebody else, another young man. His name was John Mark. John Mark blew it in ministry. What did he do? He was on the first missionary journey with, with Paul and with Barnabas. We don't know the details, but we know that John Mark, the young man, decides he doesn't want to do this anymore. Maybe he got homesick. We don't know the details, but what we do know for a fact is that John Mark said, hey, I'll see you guys later, and he left Paul and Barnabas high and dry on the mission field to go home to mama. And that made Paul very upset. And Paul's faith in John Mark was shaken. Now, later on, to make a long story short, Mark repents, and he wants to travel again with Paul and Barnabas. And Paul finds out about it, and Paul pulls Barnabas to the side and says, no way. <laughs> right? The, the best indicator of future behavior, some would say, is past behavior. He already abandoned us once. He's not going to do it again to us. He's not going with us on the second missionary journey. And Barnabas, with the gift of encouragement, had to stand in the gap between John Mark and Paul. And he was like, Paul, it's okay. Um, he's repentant. He just needs some encouragement, man. And Paul said, no. What did that lead to in your Bible? 
a split. A split between two men of God. And so Barnabas, what does he do? He grabs John Mark. They sail to Cyprus. Paul, he grabs Silas, and they go to Syria to strengthen the churches down there. Who was right? Paul or Barnabas? All, all of you who have the gift of mercy are saying, Barnabas, he was right. And all of you with the gift of prophecy are saying, Paul, right? We don't know who was right. We don't know who was wrong. But what we do know is this. Later in life, John Mark pens the gospel of Mark. What a spiritual accomplishment. Wow, that's awesome. Hey, I wonder if John Mark could have ever penned the gospel of Mark if he didn't have somebody with the gift of exhortation, Barnabas, who took him under his wing and poured into him and helped him in those difficult years. As you continue to dig in scripture, you find that the, even the apostle Paul in 2 Timothy 4.11 says, and I quote, get Mark. Paul came around. Get Mark and bring him with you because he is helpful to me in ministry. I wonder if Paul's confidence in John Mark would have ever been restored if there hadn't been a man named Barnabas who took John Mark under his wing and poured into him and encouraged him and helped him through those difficult years. I'd say probably not, but let's apply this to today. Let's apply this to you. Who's God calling you to exhort? Who's God calling you to encourage? You know what the tragedy in so many churches is today? That people come to church for the wrong reason. They come to church primarily because they need something. They want something. Okay, that should be like priority number three or four or five. Right? The number one reason we come to church is to glorify the name of Jesus Christ. The second reason we come is to help and be a blessing to other people. The third reason we come is to be encouraged ourselves. And so who's God calling you to encourage? Stop thinking about, I, I got to get encouraged. Just stop thinking about that for a second. Who is God calling you to take under your wing, to pour into that person, and to exhort them to live out what they have learned? All of us are called to encourage others. But some excel at the gift because they're plugged into the outlet of the gift of exhortation, and they're doing their part in the body of Christ. Let's go on to the next gift. We got to move. We got seven gifts here. And so now we are in Romans chapter 12. And we're down in verse 8. He who gives with liberality. And so now we come across this thing called the gift of giving. What is the gift of giving? It's a divine enablement to trust God to be a channel of his resources to others. Now at Calvary Poor St. Lucie, we believe in and we preach the principle of the tithe. And we do that unapolog unapologetically. We know there's a principle that we've gotta put God first in every area of our lives, including our finances. At our church, we believe that Proverbs 3, 9, and 10 is an eternal principle. And that is that we are to honor the Lord with our wealth and with the first fruits. Everybody say first fruits, please. 
honor the Lord with our wealth and with the first fruits of all of our increase. In other words, we don't give God our leftovers. Ladies and gentlemen, some of you guys need to hear this right now, whether you have the gift of giving or not. It's dishonoring to the Lord to pay all of your bills first, and then if you have anything left over, you throw a few bucks in the offering plate. That's wrong. That's dishonoring to God. You gotta put God first in every area of your life, including the, the, the area that hurts the most. That's your wallet, that's your purse. And so honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits, not, not, not the leftovers, the first fruits of all of your increase. And so we, we believe wholeheartedly in the, in the principle of the tithe here at Calvary, and we believe in offerings. But some people give more than that. Sometimes it's like a lot more than that. And a biblical example of someone who has the gift of giving would be the widow in Luke chapter 21. The widow in Luke chapter 21, she, didn't just, she did not just give 10%, she gave it all to the Lord. And so people who have the gift of giving, they've discovered something really important. Here it is. They understand that the more they give, the more they receive from the Lord. And so they see a need. They don't have to tell anybody about it. This is what I love about people in this church who have the gift of giving. They come confidentially. Hey, Pastor Mike, I don't want anybody to know, but I heard about this need, and I, want, I need to find out how to address this need. Praise the Lord. Don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, right? And so what they do is they see a need, they, they meet that need, and then God gives them more. And then they see another need, they give it, and then God gives them even more. And they see a need and they give it, and God gives them, you know why God keeps giving them more? Because God can trust them to be a channel of his resources to others. God knows they're not gonna hoard it. And because it's a channel, God continues to bless them more and more and more. Now, I wish, you know, we could have like a whole year to go through the spiritual gifts, but we don't. And so again, this week, I'm gonna re refer you to this book again. If you want a more in-depth study on the spiritual gifts, the most biblical and balanced book that I, that I know that's out there, it's called Living Water. It's by Pastor Chuck Smith, the first Calvary Chapel pastor who's now with the Lord. The first part, he talks about the Holy Spirit, this, who he is. The second part, all the gifts. The third part is the baptism or filling of the Holy Spirit. Priceless, awesome book, okay? And so he talks about the gift of giving about a man named R.G. Letourneau. I didn't even know who this guy was when I first read this, so I went on the internet and did a little research. Fascinating person, but R.G. Letourneau, Pastor Chuck says, certainly followed his Lord's example. Back in the 1940s and 50s, this sharp, innovative fellow made a fortune inventing and manufacturing heavy-duty, earth-moving equipment. When he started his business, he made a covenant with God to give 10% of all of his profits to the Lord. As time went on and he began to be blessed more and more, Letourneau made a covenant, a new covenant to God to give 20% to the Lord. As the business continued to increase, he raised it to 30, then 40, then 50, then 60. And by the time he went home to be with the Lord, he was giving 90% to the Lord's work all over the world. 90%. God had so blessed him that 
The 10% he kept for himself was more than enough to live on, and he learned that God simply will not be outgiving. Outgiven. And so, please don't sit there and think, I don't have the gift, so I don't have to give. We're all called to give. But some people excel at this gift. Why? Because it's their spiritual gift. They're plugged in, right, to the outlet of the gift of giving. God trusts them and continues to bless them and bless them and bless them as they are a blessing to other people. Does that make sense to you guys? Do you have that gift? Don't answer out loud. Look at the next gift in verse 8. It's the gift of leadership. So if you're taking notes, here we go. Leadership is a divine enablement to oversee the ministry of the church and influence others to reach their potential. I talked with our staff about this gift this past Tuesday in staff meeting. And during that time, I shared with our staff that a biblical example of someone who did not have the gift of leadership was King Saul. Now, some of you are new to the Bible, and you're like, King who? Okay, so this week, go back and read 1 Samuel. It's one of the most entertaining books in the entire Bible. You won't be able to put it down. But King Saul was the first king of Israel. He was a king um, because the people demanded a king. It wasn't God's will to give them a king, at least at that time in their history. The people demanded a king, and so Saul became king. He was from the tribe of Benjamin. That tells you there's a problem right there because the kings were to be from the tribe of Judah. That was prophesied back in Genesis. But here you got Saul, head and shoulders above everybody else, lots of natural talent. He becomes the king of Israel. He starts off so well, but he ends so tragically. How many of you guys know that you can start off well, but you can end tragically? And so what happened is that as he continued in his career, he hardened his heart to the Lord. And he stopped receiving counsel from his spiritual mentor, Samuel. Ladies and gentlemen, you cannot lead unless you're led. Are you guys there today? You can't lead unless you're led. Saul was not under anybody's leadership. He was unaccountable. He had no, account no accountability in his life. And so he began, began to become insensitive to other people. And then he excused his bad behavior. And then he allows his ego to, get, to go unchecked. And by the end of, of his story, there's a whole lot of people and they hate following Saul's leadership. Now, David was just the opposite. David understood that, that leadership, it's not a title. Saul thought, I have a title, so I'm a leader, so you better fall in line. And if you don't fall in line, you know, there's going to be consequences here. And no, everybody was afraid to say anything about Saul's leadership. They're afraid they're going to get in trouble. That's bad leadership. And so now you have David, right? David comes on the scene. He's from the tribe of Judah, by the way. But, but David comes on the scene, and now all of a sudden you have this young man before and during his reign, his heart is wide open to the Lord. He receives counsel from Samuel. Yes, 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 sir, uh-huh. That's what I'm gonna do then. Not only that, he's very sensitive to the needs of other people. Not only that, he takes responsibility when he messes up. Not only that, he's a humble guy. What's the result? The result is that a lot of people love following David, 
I mean, you have these guys, a lot of guys who are distressed and in, in, in debt and discouraged. They're leaving their homes in Israel and they're going out into the wilderness to find David in a cave. They want to follow him. Why? Because he's such a, a godly leader. Here's, here's the thing. John Maxwell said this. Leadership is not a title. Leadership is influence. It's godly influence. And David, okay, you guys read 2 Samuel? He wasn't perfect by any stretch of the imagination. But David was a guy who was a godly, influential leader, and under his lead, the nation of Israel prospered under him. Okay, so the church that has great leaders will rise, but the church that has poor leaders is eventually gonna fall. And when you talk about Calvary, poor St. Lucie, if our church is gonna continue to rise, if our church is gonna fulfill everything that God wants our church to fulfill here on the Treasure Coast, we're gonna need God to send more people who have this gift of leadership, who understand that leadership is not a title, that they're not entitled to it, it's influence. And because they're humble and because they treat people right, the Holy Spirit's anointing is upon them and there's a situation where they can cause the church to prosper. Are you that leader? Everybody's called to lead in a certain capacity, but some excel at it because it's their gift, right? They're plugged in to the gift of leadership and they're doing their part in the body of Christ. We have two more spiritual gifts to go and we'll wrap it up. Look now at verse eight. He says, he who shows mercy, the last part of verse eight, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. And so the gift of mercy is the next gift. And it's a divine enablement to feel empathy toward those in need and to show compassion to them. In the Bible, the person who had this gift more than anybody else, obviously the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ always felt empathy towards people who were in need those who are on the fringe, the outcasts, so to speak, the poor, the needy. He always felt empathy for them and he's always showing compassion to them. Did you guys know that Jesus got his job description from Isaiah 61, a book that was written 700 years before he was born? In Isaiah, there's hundreds of prophecies. Many of them have already been fulfilled literally in history, but lots of prophecies about the coming Messiah. And in Isaiah chapter 61, the job description of the Messiah is listed. Don't turn there. I'll read it to you. It says, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me. I'm reading from Isaiah 61, a passage Jesus quoted in a synagogue in the Gospels. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good tidings. Listen to this. To the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, to open the prison to those who are bound, later on to comfort those who are mourning, to give beauty for ashes, joy, um, oil of joy for mourning, garment of praise for a spirit of heaviness. And so that's what we see Jesus doing. He's always caring. He's always loving. He's always teaching. He's always encouraging. He's always healing. Why? The gift of mercy was flowing through the Lord Jesus Christ. And so those who have the gift of mercy 
are Christ-like. And do you know how you know if someone has the gift of mercy? They're down at the hospital, and they're visiting that person who's ill, not because they have to. They're the ones down at the nursing home, and they're sitting with a lonely widow who lost her husband, is all alone in the nursing home. They're the, the person with the gift of mercy, cares for the widows and orphans. They're serving at the local soup kitchen. They're sending monthly support to children who are in poverty. They're opening their homes to become foster parents. So all of us are called to be merciful at some level. Some, they excel at the gift. Why? They're plugged in to their gift, the gift of mercy, and the Holy Spirit's shining forth. He's flowing through them, and they're showing compassion. They're showing empathy. They're doing their part in the church. Last gift. It's not in Romans 12. It's in Ephesians 4. You don't have to turn there. It's the gift of evangelism. What is evangelism? Well, those of you who have the gift, you know exactly what it is because you're always talking about Jesus with lost people. The gift of evangelism is a divine enablement to care for the lost and to be a witness to them in word and in deed. The gift of evangelism. Those of you who have the gift of evangelism, as I said, you have this big heart for people who are lost. You're the ones who are always leaving tracks, you know, in the bathroom so that your unsaved husband can read it. You're the one who's always got tracks in your, in your wallet or your purse because you know there's opportunities or, or, or invite cards to share, to show, and then to share either a gospel presentation or an invitation to church. Um, a biblical example of someone with the gift of evangelism would be Paul, right? He, goes across the Roman Empire. He establishes churches on three missionary journeys. And so a modern-day example of somebody with this gift would be a missionary, right? Travels to a foreign field, shares Christ, plants churches. Um, it could be a little different twist, but it could be modern-day evangelists like Greg Laurie, a Calvary Chapel guy. And we know he's got the gift of evangelism because we see Angel Stadium filling up. <laughs> Tens of thousands of people every single year to hear the gospel presented, and we see thousands, thousands of people coming to Christ. So we're thankful, right, for modern-day missionaries. We're thankful for modern-day evangelists, but you know who I'm most thankful for? I'm so thankful for those of you in this local church who have the gift of evangelism. I'm thankful for Jack Rorell and his team that goes out every other Thursday evening into our community and shares the love of Jesus Christ with lost people. I'm so grateful, right? We should thank them, right? We should thank them. I don't know if you know this, but Jack's teams, that's part of his team. That's not the whole team. But Jack's teams over the years, they've won hundreds of people to Christ here in poor St. Lucie. And it's always a joy to see some of them um, coming here to Calvary uh, to church or, or whatever church, as long as they get plugged into some kind of church. And, and lots of you, maybe you're not on Jack's team, you have the gift of evangelism. I'm thankful for you too because as you operate in your giftedness, new people come into the kingdom and everybody knows that new converts are the lifeblood of any church. You know why, one of the reasons why our church is alive? Because we have a lot of new converts. You know why? Because people know that everybody out there is going to one or two places when they die, heaven or hell. 
and it's always on their heart, and they're always burdened about it, and so what do they do? They take advantage, and they share the love of Jesus Christ, and people get saved, and they come, and the church is filled with new converts, and it's an exciting thing to be a part of. We're all called to share our faith, but some excel at it because they have the gift of evangelism. They're plugged into that outlet. And so in conclusion, the question is this. Two questions for you. Are you being filled with the Holy Spirit? That's question number one. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 5, continue to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then question number two, are you plugged in to the gift that God has for you, the gift or gifts? Do you know what your gift is? One of the greatest gifts God can give his children is the assurance of their salvation. If you're not sure where you stand with God, we want to help. Visit our website at www dot calvarypsl dot com and click on knowing christ